guys, and welcome to Environmental. I'm Mary. I'm Emma. And I'm Emily. And we're college students who love learning about our Earth and we're eager to share our journey. Environmental is a radio show committed to blowing your mind with all things environmental. We'll explore topics such as climate change, pollution, and sustainability. Join us for a 3 a.m. existential crisis broadcasted at 3 p.m. for your convenience. Woo! <laughs> All right, we're going on Instagram Live, so you can follow <laughs> us, Environmental Pod, on Instagram, and check us out in the studio. We're um, here. We are here. We are here. Uh, we're right. here. We are here. We are here. Like in Horton, here's a who? Oh, I haven't seen it. Oh, oh sorry. Oh. Sorry. Okay. Yeah, I don't know where you're talking um, about. Comment down below if you've seen <laughs> Go on. Go, go comment right now on the live feed. We want to Shout see out it. to Amy and my father. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Amy. Hi, Emily's dad. All right. All right. We have a we lot have serious to talk business. about. Yes. Uh, this week's topic is climate change because climate change won't wait for you to believe in it. This is going to be a huge episode full of tons of information. We're hoping it's a big picture view of what climate change is, how it's caused, and the impacts in store. And we're hoping it's not too sciencey for you, but just enough sciencey so that we sound legit. But, you know. Um, yeah. And then, once again, we are doing next week is our Q&A episode, and we need your questions still, mm -hmm. so yes. go to our Instagram. Link is still in the bio. Yes. Mm -hmm. Um, or just message us a question about climate change if you have any after this episode or anything environmental at all. Yes. Cool. So, who's starting off with... I love this vibrant <laughs> introduction to how the climate works. All right, yes. So, to start off this episode, let's talk about um, the global energy budget shall we yes so Woo. buckle up i'm gonna take you on a ride we're gonna go on the radiation ride <laughs> please keep your hands and feet inside the vehicle at all the time and enjoy the ride thank you okay so we start out with incoming shortwave radiation from the sun which drives the earth's climate system so what the heck does that mean okay so Incoming, incoming solar radiation. Incoming literally means it's coming, coming into the Earth system from the sun. Makes okay. Sense. And short wave is a type of radiation. So there's short wave and long wave radiation. Short wave, which comes from the sun, contains higher amounts of energy. And then radiation is just um, energy. So we have uh, high amounts of energy coming from the sun, and it's traveling, and then it, it gets to the Earth, and the first thing it hits is the atmosphere, and what happens? So, it meets the atmosphere, it gets reflected by clouds and by um, dust particles, um, and it just goes right back out in space. Bye-bye. Bye. <laughs> so, that's 30%. Oh, and it also is reflected by the cryosphere. So... Out of that incoming short wave radiation, 30% is reflected back out into space. It doesn't even get to the surface. It doesn't get absorbed or anything. It just leaves. Bye. Um, and then 
Uh, oh, yeah. It's also reflected by the cryosphere. Uh, the cryosphere is just a term for um, ice on Earth's surface. And um, the cryosphere is highly reflective. So um, in the same way that, you know, because it's white, and let's say if you're wearing, like, a white shirt on a hot summer's day, um, you're going to be cooler than if you're wearing a black shirt because mm. more of, like, the heat is reflected rather than absorbed. All right. So... Which is called albedo. Yes. <laughs> yeah. You put that in your, terms. in your vocab. Um, so then we have 30% reflecting. We have about 23% of that remaining shortwave radiation is then absorbed by the atmosphere, um, especially by the ozone in the upper atmosphere, the clouds and the water vapor in the lower atmosphere. So we got 23% being absorbed by the atmosphere, and then that remaining 47% of the solar radiation finally reaches the Earth's surface. Ooh, it's tired. there. <laughs> um, it is then absorbed by the Earth's surface, and the radiation is then re-emitted as long-wave radiation. Long-wave radiation is um, a less powerful form of energy. Um, it contains a lower amount of energy. So, this absorption and then re-emission of energy from the Earth's surface can happen in two ways, either via sensible heat flux, um, which is conducted from the warm surface to the air immediately above it, and then upward convection of the atmosphere. And then the other way that can happen is latent heat flux, which is when, like, uh, <laughs> phase change. Phase change. Of yes. water. Yes. And also having to do with heat. So, here we are. That's the energy budget. Thank you. And it's an energy budget, so we can literally, like, use all of this incoming, outgoing, and make a model where we can track Earth's energy. Yes. Um, so, there's, like, so there's the energy in the system. Um... So so that long wave radiation that came from the Earth's surface is, you know, re-emitted and then it's actually reabsorbed by these things called radioactively active gases. They're so active. Ooh. Yes. They're extremely active and they can be things such as uh water vapor, carbon dioxide, nitrous oxide, methane, and CFCs. Um so then uh, that long wave radiation is absorbed by all those things and then re-radiated out into all directions. Um, so the amount of radiation that is directed back to the Earth's surface contributes to the climate and the warming of the planet, and that is known as the greenhouse, greenhouse effect. effect. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I missed that one. So I think a common misconception with climate change is that humans create the greenhouse effect when that's not really true the greenhouse effect is a natural phenomenon but as we will probably get into earlier it's just um you know human activities that are um like over activating the greenhouse effect or um making it like stronger yeah. like what what helps me imagine it is like it's a it's a blanket right mm -hmm. and so we we need that blanket to survive but then you know, we're making it a extra fluffy like a heated yes. blanket. A heated blanket. Yeah. So then we're just sweating. Yeah. 
Yeah. And that's where humans come in. (laughs) Bum, bum, bum. We release these radioactively active gases, also called greenhouse gases, and they trap excess energy in the system by burning fossil fuels like coal and oil. Um, These greenhouse gases, like Mary mentioned, um, are CO2, nitrous oxide, methane, and CFCs. One of those, which CFCs is chlorofluorocarbons, you know that chemical because we outlawed it because it created an ozone hole. So these are very powerful compounds, and the one that we release the most in excess is carbon dioxide and um, creates this heated blanket over Earth's surface, unfortunately. Um, but the thing is with CO2 and with all of these compounds is they have, um, they all cycle through the atmosphere at varying rates. Um, this is called mean residence times, Ooh. which is the amount stored in a reservoir, the amount of that compound stored in the atmosphere divided by the flux, which is the ingoing and, or outgoing rate from that reservoir, from the atmosphere. Um, so you divide that and you get how long it stays in the atmosphere in years. So... The problem is, is that even if humans stopped emitting fossil fuels 100% all the way today, there would still be excess fossil fuel CO2 in the atmosphere, which would be about 35% higher than the natural um, greenhouse gas kind of um, background. But this CO2 would decline by 50% within 30 years, 20% within a few centuries, and then the remaining 30% excess CO2 would actually remain in the atmosphere for, could be upward of thousands of years. Which, for humans, thousands of years is, like, forever, so. <laughs> it's just crazy the, how, like, our impact will negatively live on forever, like. Yeah. yeah. People want a positive impact to live on forever, but we have a negative yeah. impact. Um, so yeah, and that's why it's called anthropogenic climate change, because it's human cost and not a natural cycle, which we'll discuss later. So Emily, do you want to tell us what anthropogenic means? Yes. Um, so anthropoge- anthropogenic is the is being human caused, right? So people are discussing that we are actually now in a new epoch called the Anthropocene because we have changed okay let me just read what I have (laughs) humans have fundamentally altered the earth geophysical systems and cycles through industrial technology oh my god technological developments such as the burning of fossil fuels machine production introduction of chemicals and radioactive materials and other human actions that caused ecosystem disruptions and environmental harms. Natural systems and human systems are interlinked, resulting in a positive positive feedback feedback loop where change in one system causes change to the other system. So basically what it's saying, Anthropocene means humans have altered the earth so much that we have changed geologic time mm-hmm. because, and like, usually these these shifts take millions of years. Like the Triassic and the Cretaceous, like that took hundreds of millions of years for those time periods to change. And we're doing we're we're altering the Earth 
in literally 100 years. Yeah. Which crazy. usually takes millions. Like, what? Yeah. So, um, yeah, so because we have altered the Earth so much, um, we are now living in the geological epoch, the Anthropocene. Um, I also, someone explained the Anthropocene in a way that, like, really resonated with me, which is that, you know, if in a million years aliens were to come to Earth and kind of, like, dig through, like, the Earth and the soil, you know, you can see, you can literally see different, like, eras and, like, when the dinosaurs were alive and, like, when this happened, and they could literally dig through the soil and see, like, this is where, like, humans started, like, the Industrial Revolution and the carbon dioxide started to build up in the atmosphere. And like, plastic. And, oh, yeah, of course, no. and plastic, yeah. So there's literally, <sighs> like, physical, chemical evidence in the Earth that has, like, completely changed, like, the <laughs> characteristics of it. Um, <laughs> I was listening to Star Talk Radio. Thank you, Neil deGrasse Tyson. And he talked about how there's other, if there's other life, on in the universe how maybe they came but they were like eh, there's no intelligent <laughs> life on on earth and they just flew away <laughs> we're too dumb because we treat our own planet like this you know yeah yeah so it's like there could be intelligent life but they're too smart for us so they don't want to interact yeah because we're destroying our home <laughs> i just thought that's funny uh, so so, yes. Um, does anyone want to talk more in depth on CO2? Um, sure. All right. So, um, should I just read it off? Yeah, sure. Okay. So, we go over carbon dioxide more specifically in our CO2 episode, but just we just want to make a few points clear. So, CO2 over the years uh, recently, so the global average CO2 levels have been tracked over the years. Um, since 1958, Char- Charling Keeling. Charles Keeling. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Too many Charles in there. Keeling at the um, Mauna Loa Observatory. I almost said Moana. <laughs> <laughs> yes! <laughs> Mauna Loa Observ- Observatory in Hawaii um, has been monit- mon- monitoring CO2 levels uh, oh, okay, far away from any other um, continent, so it's a good idea of uh, global average. CO2. Um, CO2. So in um, 1958, uh, there were 310 parts per million of CO2 in the atmosphere. Um, in 2020, this year, there are 410 parts per million. Um, so that's 100 parts per million increase in the last, like, what is that? Six, Six years? Six years. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's a lot. It's too um, much. CO2 levels vary seasonally as planets uh, as plants begin to photosynthesize um, more. They pho- photosynthesize more in the spring and summer. Uh, they suck in CO2 and draw levels down. Um, then fall and winter, they stop photosynthesizing because they drop their leaves and the CO- CO2 levels go back up. Um, this is what the up and downs of the Keeling curve is. Um, even with seasonal variations, the CO2 curve goes up over time mm. um, you can also visit co2now.org to see daily trends cool. we also had a assignment in our, one of our classes where we had to find the parts per million of carbon dioxide on our birthday and then 
what it was in our next birthday, and mm-hmm. it was just crazy to see how in your lifetime, it when you know how much it how much up. it's changing. Yeah, yeah. And so it, that helps. On average, goes up about two parts per million per year. Also. Okay, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, so averagely, it's supposed to go up two or point two. 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 Two parts per million per year, and yet. It has gone up. Oh, wait. No, that is. That's what it has gone up. Oh, yeah. okay. I see. No. <laughs> I don't know what it's supposed to go up per year, but that's... Um, no, it's not. <laughs> it's, it's not supposed to go up. Um, so, a couple things just to make clear since we're talking about climate change. Um, when this whole greenhouse gas emissions thing came out, the, um, it was called global warming Mm -hmm. um Mm. and global warming um literally means that there is an increase in global mean surface temperatures so temperatures are taken all over the earth and then averaged out and then we get the global mean surface temp and then over time with more co2 in the atmosphere we have seen an increase in global mean surface temperatures the problem with this term is that people hear global warming and they think that every place on earth is getting warmer um but there are local seasonal fluctuations and a whole complex network of atmospheric circulation, ocean circulation, topography differences that alters climate per region. Um, so some places will actually become more warm and or dry. Some other places will actually have more rain. Um, so there's big differences in how this global warming um, impacts certain areas. Mm-hmm. So this is why there's kind of been the shift towards the term climate change mm-hmm. instead of global warming, because it makes a little more sense to people. Um, it's a little bit less confusing, um, and it's able to encompass the multitude of changes that will happen to Earth. And then, once again, adding on the anthropogenic climate change in front makes it very specific about what we're talking about, because as we'll talk more in a moment, the climate has changed um, throughout Earth's 4.5 billion year history, um, but actually only 2.5 billion years of that Earth has had an atmosphere. Mm. So, um, Yeah. <laughs> So definitely don't get confused between climate and weather. Um, So (laughs) have you ever heard someone say, mm, you know, someone on Twitter maybe, um, it's freezing outside and, you know, people tweet, oh, where's the global warming when you need it? (laughs) Man, I, I, uh, that's... (laughs) Weather is the atmosphere at the surface at a particular place in time. So that is you putting on a jacket for the day because you know from the weather report it's going to be colder. Climate is the state of the Earth system as a whole um, over a longer period of time, not just day to day. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's like more of what wardrobe you have yeah maybe. so yeah. it's not oh i'm it's cold i'll put on a sweater today it's the earth is getting colder so i need to purchase some jackets but <laughs> unfortunately we are in the opposite you might want to invest in some shorts pink <laughs> tops yeah um but yeah go ahead it's just a phase yeah <laughs> <laughs> Throughout Earth's history, we know there are long-term climate cycles. The Earth goes back and forth between glacial and interglacial periods. Mm -hmm. 
Regular Earth orbit variations, also called the Milankovitch cycles, create differences in solar input that drives these glacial periods. We are currently in an interglacial period. Three types of variation in Earth's orbit influence the amount of solar ra radiation received. Eccentricity, the degree of the ellipsicity. Ellipsis <laughs> Sorry, give me the Bless hard you. words. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> of Earth's orbit around the sun. So that's the period of the eccentricity is every 100,000 years. And then we have the good old tilt, the angle between the Earth's axis of, rota axis of rotation relative to the plane of its orbit around the sun. So it, right now it's at a tilt of 23.5 degrees. And um, period of change for tilt is every 41,000 years. Which is crazy that the Earth's tilt literally changes. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then precession, the wobbling, and Earth's axis, axis, axis. I keep saying axis, axis, axis. Can you tell the difference? Uh, <laughs> rotation <laughs> determines the time of year when different locations on Earth are closest to the sun, and this happens every twenty-three thousand years or so. So. Even with these long-term cycles, we know our current change is due to greenhouse gas emissions because the change has happened so rapidly. As I said, these changes happen up to 100,000 years, and we've been th this has been occurring over the past 100 years. Yeah. <laughs> um, also... What about sunspots? No. <laughs> sun's, <laughs> You're a good one to read this whole section. <laughs> sunspots also change the sun's energy output. The rate of sunspot generation varies systematically every 11 years, which means we can track and add this into global climate models. Um, but greenhouse gas contributions far outweigh the influence of the sunspots. Have you guys seen the new picture of the sun? I'm not. They have the the... I think it's the most close-up photo they've ever taken of the sun. Oh wow! And you can see, you can see all these little, you know, mosaic pieces. No, what the sun's made out of. It's like not a solid. It's like all different. Oh, and it, little and chunks. Little chunks, yeah. So like huh. it looks like a mosaic, and each piece is the size of Texas. Uh, oh my gosh! So look That's at so that. cool. Um. So, uh, what about volcanoes? <laughs> <laughs> False. Release volcanic aerosols, you know, so sulfur dioxide and solid ash into the atmosphere actually reflects incoming solar radiation. Imagine when Mount St. Helens erupted, all the, the cloud you know, of ash was into the sky, and as Mary said in the beginning, dust particles reflect that incoming solar radiation. So if there's more dust in the atmosphere, that means more solar radiation is being reflected. Uh -oh. That's right. I said it. <laughs> we said it. Um, um, so there's a global cooling effect since these aerosols are transported all across the world by atmospheric circulation. So it's just, it's not just reflecting solar radiation in Washington that's being blown throughout the, the world. Um, and this fluctuation is only two to four years, which with a change at most of um, one to 3.5 cooling, one degrees cooling. 
So it's been past two to four years, so we can't blame volcanoes either. Yeah. Um, again, volcano eruptions do release some CO2, but not a large source of CO2 compared to us. And finally, um, El Nino Southern Oscillation. So this is a very important variation in climate that scientists keep track of. El Nino um, Southern Oscillation is an irregularly periodic variation in winds and sea surface temperatures over the tropical eastern Pacific Ocean, affecting the climate of much of the tropics and subtropics. The warming phase of the sea's temperatures is known as El Nino, and the cooling phase is La Nina. And this only occurs with a half degree of sea surface above or below normal. And it has global and local implications, um, but not, not a thing compared to us. So changes have occurred in the past, yes. But like we said, it took hundreds of millions of years, or it takes at least thousands of years for these changes to occur and human have been em humans have been emitting the greenhouse gas emissions at an accelerated rate that is unprecedented in geological history yep um and how do we know that how do we know that it's taken you know millions of hundreds of millions of years we know it from proxy data what? whoa what is proxy data Proxy data is climate data prior to instrument-based climate recording, which began mm. in 1870s or so. We started recording our climate and weather until now. And these measures are indirect measuring samples because we personally were not there to record them ourselves, but we use something that was there. We use climate-sensitive sources like tree growth rings, rocks, ice cores, fossil pollen, coral, and deep sea sediment cores that we can then read to tell us what the climate was like. Um, and the accuracy of proxy climate records um, decrease the farther back you go in time, but you can calibrate them with other proxy datas and then big events like volcanic eruptions that leave this big ash layer maybe over the snow or over the soil actually ends up in geologic um, layers. So you can kind of um, time out when certain events happen. If you knew that this big volcanic eruption was here, um, you can kind of go back in time and kind of calibrate. Um, and then other things like historical records are also used, like um, vineyard, vineyard records go back as far as the 15th century and oh. give us some info about climate since grapevines strongly respond to climate change. Mm. And it's mostly from monks took very good records of their vineyards um, so that's where a lot of that info comes. Oh. So there are a whole bunch of types of proxy data. I'm just going to talk about three. I'm going to talk about dendrochronology, pollen fossils, and glacial ice cores, because I think these three are all my, my favorites. Um, so the first is dendrochronology. So um, most people know that you can read growth rings on trees to see how old the tree is. Like one ring um, is one year of how old the tree is but you can also use this um, for climate. Ring width per year can tell the climate. So a thin ring means that the tree was stressed and was probably grown under a drought. And then a wide ring means the tree was growing in favorable conditions, which usually means lots of water. 
and trees um, depending on how old the tree is trees um, nowadays are that we have currently living are a couple hundred years old few hundred years old so you can do core um, core analysis from the trees and go back and date the climate um, you, and this usually goes back as far as 500 to 700 years wow. and, and then another one is pollen fossils so pollen comes off of trees and vegetation and then it sits into mud and then it becomes fossilized and scientists use pollen analysis to look at the pollen grains um, left in these fossils um, or in lake sediments and then to determine nearby vegetation and since climate determines vegetation we can get a good idea of what past climate w was like from these pollen fossils and these go back 20,000 years Ooh. yeah and then um, my favorite is glacial ice cores so out in mm. Antarctica where ice has been frozen for hundreds of thousands of years, scientists can dig out a core of ice and examine it. Air bubbles are retained in this ice and then they are actually the only direct measurements of gas concentrations from the ancient atmosphere. So you can actually measure CO2 levels of past climates. Dinosaur breath. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's so cool. And these go back 800,000 years, 1.7 million years ago. And scientists have determined from these glacial ice cores that the present level of atmospheric carbon is about 27% higher than the highest levels detected in bubbles trapped in ice cores dating back 700,000 years. So this is really big information. <laughs> so our carbon... Our CO2 emissions are the highest it's ever been in the last um, 700,000 years. Ooh. And then you can also look at ocean sediments, which have a 100,000 year record, um, cave deposits, and coral reefs, which also have growth rings. But we want to move on to the IPCC. We can kind of split this one up because it's a lot. <laughs> okay. Um, I can start it off. Sure. So, the IPCC, often referenced in our episodes, stands for the Intergovernmental Panel of Climate Change. Founded in 1988, is an intergovernmental body of the uh, United Nations that is dedicated to providing the world with objective scientific information relevant to understanding the scientific basis of the risk of human-induced um, climate change, its natural, political, and economic impacts and risks, and the possible uh, re response options. Um, it's released every five to six years, assesses and compiles published peer-reviewed literature. Um, the fifth assessment was in um, 2015. Um, and I think, wasn't there one in 2018? Yeah, too? there was. Um, thousands of scientists and other experts contribute on a voluntary basis to writing and reviewing uh, reports, which are then viewed by governments. Um, it contains a summary uh, for policymakers. So you don't have to read the whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> is the point. You can go in, just Google summary for policymakers and, um, by IPCC, and you can find out a lot of this information. Yes. Um, so the expectations... Um, overall, um, there's a quote here by the IPCC, and it says, 
scientific evidence for warming of the planet is unequivocal. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Unequivocal. And since uh, the 1950s, many of the observed changes are unprecedented over decades to millennia. This atmosphere and ocean, uh, the atmosphere and ocean have warmed. The amounts of snow and ice have diminished. Sea level has risen, and the concentrations of greenhouse gases have increased. It's a lot. It is a lot. So let's talk about CO2 levels. Um, greenhouse gases have increased to levels unprecedented in at least 800,000 years. Carbon dioxide increased by 40% since pre-industrial times. Uh, fossil fuel emissions and secondary and secondarily from net land use change emissions. Um, expectations for temperature. Each of the last three decades have been successfully uh, warm, successively warmer at the Earth's surface than any preceding decade since 1850. Basically meaning Whoa. you get to one year and it's the warmest year ever, and then you get to the next year and then that becomes the warmest year ever, and so on and so on. And that's been happening since... Uh, 1850. 1850. Um, let's see. It's already observed warming of um, 0.7 degrees Celsius from um, 1950 to 2010. Um, in the future, the global mean temperature change is likely to exceed 1.5 degrees Celsius by 2100. Um, the warming is not uniform, however. Some areas will warm um, faster, such as uh, the poles, um, and models vary from 1.5 to 4 degrees Celsius. Yep. And just a note also is scientists are usually very conservative in their estimates because mm-hmm. um, they want to have high certainty. So if a lower, if they're going to say like 1 degree Celsius increase with high certainty, that means they actually, they also think that there's like two degrees Celsius warming with moderate certainty. Mm-hmm. So they try to be as certain as possible with their models. So the thing is, is these are like the highest certainty marks, but things could be worse Yeah. in like all of these estimates. So <laughs> it's not good. Um, can I talk about the ocean one? Yeah. It's a lot of, the ocean is crazy. The more that I was like, I was organizing it into ocean. There's so many things that the ocean, um, impacts and then is impacted by so um, ocean warming dominates the increase in energy stored in the climate system because on earth there is a larger proportion of um, ocean than lands all that incoming solar radiation comes in and hits the ocean and then um, it is warmed by that so that's where most of the energy comes in and is stored in the ocean the thing is, is warming accelerates the hydrologic cycle, the water cycle. So this increases evaporation and rainfall globally. This also causes um, sea level sea levels to rise for two reasons. One is through thermal expansion because the warmer something is, it expands in size. So as the ocean sucks in all, all this heat, it actually expands, which means sea levels rise in that way. And then also um, the warmer, the atmosphere and the warmer, warmer water melts um, melts glaciers and ice caps and um, any arctic ice so then that also raises sea level and sea level has already risen by um, zero point I'm sorry this is in meters 0.19 meters 
um, from 1901 to 2010, um, and the rate of this rise. So the change of this rise is larger than during the previous two millennia, which is a long time. (laughs) Um, And then rate of Arctic ice sea melt um, has increased and will continue to do so because, as we've talked about in other episodes, the Arctic area um, is heavily prone due to albedo because it's it's white. It reflects a lot of um, sun, so then when it starts to melt, there becomes a positive feedback loop. So ice increasingly melts. And then across the globe, glacier pack on mountains, which supplies everyone's water, will also decrease. And, Um, oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, I think I didn't realize the difference between the ice that's, there's ice that's on water and there's ice that's on land. And, like, the... I don't remember the term, but with the water will melt and it'll just go under the ice. So then the whole ice sheet just slides off the land. Oh yeah, into the it water. makes like a river sort of underneath the ice sheet. Yeah, and then it like can kind of push it into the ocean and so it's and melt it. R- right, which is just m- even faster. Yeah, m- more positive feedback. Um, but, <laughs> <laughs> but I think that it's just important to visualize. It's not like an ice cube melting where it's like slowly i mean maybe some are but for example the, what i'm trying to say is like the whole sheet just slides off and goes into the ocean yeah like uh, yeah sorry it's really bad um so i think i was almost done so um in the future sure. global mean sea level rise by 2100 I got it in feet this time, is going to rise by one to two feet. Oof. But if, um, And then um, the other thing about the ocean that's really important is that the ocean has absorbed about 30% of the admitted anthropogenic carbon dioxide, causing ocean acidification. And further uptake of carbon will increase this. So mm. obvious impacts to marine organisms fish that eat those marine organisms and humans that eat that fish so and we had an episode about ocean acidification right yeah we have our sea level rise episode if you want to learn more about that um and then my biggest mind-blown thing with the ocean was that um, ocean circulation is impacted by salinity and temperature so the more melting means water on the earth is less is less salty and then it's also warmer. So this drastically alters ocean circulation. And ocean circulation transport heat, transports heat and nutrients all across the globe. So um, the main one is the North Atlantic Thermohaline, um, which is just really crazy. You guys can, like, YouTube that for yourself. Mm. It's just really crazy. Um, yeah. So the main takeaway from the IPCC... Um, and what they're continually um, putting out there is that um, continued emissions of greenhouse gases will further warm and change all components of the climate system since everything is linked together. So limiting climate change will require a substantial and sustained reduction of greenhouse gas emissions. Um, and if you want to learn about how kind of the local impacts um i know a big thing is salmon we have our devolving salmon episode you can go check out um but we're going to go focusing more on the global impacts um so basically we are not 
all in this together. Not everybody is going to be um, impacted by climate change the same, and it's more often than not going to be um, countries that are still developing. Um, so here we were, which just sucks because the U.S. is emit per capita, as mm-hmm. we've talked about, Americans are emitting the most um, mm-hmm. CO2, but we're not seeing any of the, of our, we're not seeing the outcome of our. We're not, like, uh, dealing with the consequences. Yes, yeah. Um, yeah, so, um, wealthy countries like the United States um, have contributed the most to climate change, um, and yet are the most immune to its effects. Um, a study in 2016 published in the Journal of Nature Scientific Re- uh, Reports shows that uh, more than half of the highest admitting countries um, rank for the least vulnerable countries to climate change, um, as well as nearly two-thirds of the countries with low or moderate emissions are very vulnerable to these effects. Whoa. Um, Researchers classified more than 10% of countries as free riders, um, ranking in the top fifth in terms of emissions and the bottom 20% in terms of vulnerability. And these are countries like the United States, much of Europe, and Australia. So this um, report was published in 2016. As we all know, Australia is like suffering greatly from um, the fires. So um, I just thought that was interesting that Australia was like not expected to be super affected and yet like here we are yeah, yeah. um we we also have an episode on that yeah too <laughs> you can check out um australian bushfire one yeah um so on the opposite end of that six countries which were classified as the quote-unquote forced riders um with relatively low emissions and high vulnerability um some island countries with low emissions such as the Kiribati, um, could even be wiped out completely off the <laughs> face of the earth due to sea level rise. Oh, my gosh. Um, I hope that I'm saying this right. I'm pretty sure it's pronounced uh, Kiribati. Um, so it's located in the central Pacific Ocean, um, and it's a bit uh, southwest uh, of Hawaii. Um, and... So it's extremely invul- vulnerable to climate change um, because it's really being hit from every angle. Um, so not only is sea level rise threatening to just completely engulf the island, um, but it's also depleted their soil so their crops can hardly grow. Um, salt water has polluted their drinking water, which is mm-hmm. also something that um, Florida is vulnerable to. Yeah. Also check out our sea level Super rise right. episode. Um Yes, yeah, so they can't grow their food, they can't, they're losing their access to their drinking water. Um, They're also experiencing regularly flooding. One resident uh, reported that they used to get extreme flooding maybe once a year, and now it's happening every two to three months. Wow. Um, And this threat is so real to them that the government has, well, they've planted mangroves, um, which are just like, um, these like plants that you can plant in the shores um, to kind of like uh, filter the water um, to protect like their you know their fresh water supply. 
Um, but the government, but it's such a real threat to them because the government has purchased land on Fiji, where if worse comes to worse, they can evacuate the entire population to there. Wow. If or when it gets so bad that they literally don't have land to live on. Wow. So, I just think that like that really, like, um, I don't know. It shows like, like our privilege, like Americans' privilege, mm-hmm. because. And our ignorance to our privilege, because, like, we have the privilege of having access to, like, you know, electricity and Wi-Fi and, like, the highest tech. And, like, little do we know, like, everything in, like, the background, like, everyone else is suffering for, like, the things that we have. Okay. I'll get off my soapbox. (laughs) That was so good. (laughs) Yes. And then, so, kind of, also what helped me realize my own privilege would was watching before the flood with leonardo dicaprio and he is sitting down and interviewing an environmental activist named sunita nareen um and you know they're kind of talking about how should developing countries move forward to provide you know electricity or you know basic human needs for their for themselves and she basically says, you know, you are a hypocrite because, mm-hmm. you know, she. this is what she says. She says, coal is cheap, whether you like it or not. I hear this conversation all the time. Oh, the world's poor should move to solar. Why do they have to make the mistakes we have made? And I'm like, wow, if it was only that easy, why hasn't the U.S. moved towards solar? But you haven't. So let's put our money where our mouth is. And Ooh. I was just like... Yes. Yes, girl. Yes, girl. Um, so yeah, basically exactly what Mary said. We're we're pointing fingers like, oh, you haven't developed. Well, why can't you just develop with solar energy? Like, yeah. no, that's not. You just can't. Yeah. yeah. And uh, why haven't like the United States, you know, gone to clean energy and solar energy? It's because that's not where the money is. It's because politicians are being paid by oil companies. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Instead of yes. solar. Okay, and that's, that's fine. <laughs> We're going to talk more about that yeah. if we get to it. So. We should get to it. All right. Um, yeah. So just as we've already said, like, U.S. points fingers to mm-hmm. everyone. It's like, oh, why why doesn't China go first? U.S., who is, like, the leader in everything slash also the policeman of the world, is telling other people to do things first, which is crazy. And even though China has most CO2 emissions that they have emitted total, U.S. has highest per capita because we have less people. So each per person, we admit way more carbon emissions than China does. And I also like to think China is emitting all that stuff because we're buying it. They're making Mm -hmm. everything is made in China for us. So for us. So half of that China emissions is us. So Ah! all that crap you buy Ah! at Walmart, like that's all us. Yeah. Yeah, lit. Yeah, ooh, we're doing good. <laughs> yeah. Um, All right. What's next? Well, so I, just the big thing is like, why now? Why why not just wait and see? Mm-hmm. We've literally been saying that since 1979. Which, if you haven't known, it's 2020 now. <laughs> <laughs> that is literally what? like 40 years ago that we've been saying that. And so we've lost a lot of time that we could have worked on this issue. And that's just dumb because, like, wait and see. Wait and see for what? Like, we don't need to see anything. We already know exactly what's going to happen. Wait and see until people die. Wait until 
see ecosystems are lost and yeah. trashed. Until it just becomes even harder and harder and more expensive to clean up the mess that we're making right now. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. Emily, take it away. So, <laughs> actually, I was reading this book by Thomas L. Friedman, Hot, Flat, and Crowded, Why We Need a Green Revolution and How We Can Renew America. It was, it was released in 2008. It was 12 years ago. And I was, I'm literally on page 15 and my mind is blown, okay? So, we, we portray climate change as a political debate. And this is significant because it causes people of the opposite party to feel like it's not an immediate threat to their life. It's something that's just another political topic that, um they don't want to hear about or you know they they're unplugged from politics so it doesn't apply to them yeah but it's not up for debate and the future of the environment that we live in will single-handedly be based upon the anthropogenic influences if we do not change how we live yes (laughs) and i so i spent my whole capstone presentation trying to understand why the media portrays climate change as this partisan issue and then i was like because they get paid for it. <laughs> I I am not saying maybe the maybe media isn't directly linked to. Oh well, hey, oh, BP will give me you know a few grand if I stay this, but yeah. it's like, but that is happening in our government, um, which the media reports on. So, I was surprised to find out, thanks to Thomas, that there was a time when Washington had a bipartisan approach to the environment. It was actually Republican Richard Nixon who signed into law the first wave of major environmental legislation in the United States, which addressed our first generation of environmental problems such as air pollution, water pollution, and toxic waste. But along came Reagan, and he changed that. Um, So he basically ran against environmental regulation, and him and his interior secretary, James Watt, turned environmental regulation into much more of a partisan and polarizing issue than it had ever been before, and it's been that way ever since. Uh-huh. Um, so basically, the book went on to say how big oil and big auto, big auto industries used their leverage in Washington to shape the market so people would ask for those cars that consumed the most oil and earned their companies the most profit. And Congress never got in the way because they were bought off and you know lobbies are still bought out yes yeah so um the danger is that the paralysis of the american political system which is its inability to tackle any big multi-generational problem anymore will just very slowly erode our strengths and assets as a society no um so we're just trying to say Green is not just simply a new form of generating electric power. It's a form of generating power nationally. And, you know, we're all going to benefit from being sustainable and being green and caring about the earth. It's not a political issue. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, I got that. I got majority of that was from um, this book, um, Hot, Flat, and Crowded. So... I'm literally page 15, so we'll see what, <laughs> what, where that takes us. And like I said, too, we, I mean, we can see that right here in Washington State when there was an opportunity to pass a carbon tax, but BP spent $13 million 
Oh my gosh. To kill it. So, and but we don't see that. We just see the um, other side. So there, uh, I don't know if it's still there anymore, but there was a um, sign about the that initiative and but it was about like oh like don't vote for this like the citizens are gonna pay for it and it's right. a bad idea whatever and then somebody put a piece of tape on top of that saying paid for by oil companies Ooh. and I was just like yes <laughs> tell them yeah so unfortunately Washington Initiative 1631 was defeated <laughs> but the point is you can do something about it. You can. There is still a lot of good news that's going on. If you, if this episode really got you down, go on that website. Uh, good News, good Network. news Network. Oh, yeah. Um, and if you don't agree with policies that are in place, vote. Yes. Um, stay. Vote. Vote, yes. vote, vote, vote. <laughs> and vote local. Pay yes. attention to your, vote, your local elections, too. Vote in everything, not just the presidential election. Yeah. Because it's yeah. who represents you who votes for said president. Yeah. So it's all the steps count. Um, yeah, and look at what they, what they want. Do they have the environment in mind? Do they want to take action against climate change? Or are the corporations buying them out? And they're only going to think about the people who are giving them money. Mm-hmm. Like, got to think about that. Yeah. And not only vote, but you can even take it a step further and you can contact your local representatives. Oh. If they're doing something that you don't agree with, tell them. It's literally their job to represent you and everybody else that you live with and live near. So do it. Awesome. So hopefully this episode has motivated you and and kind of wrapped up all the episodes we've had kind of led up to this um so thank you i think we have quite a few more views than our last status <gasps> um any other questions you have from our climate change episode or about the environment don't forget to send them to us yes we need more questions for our q a episode next week with a special guest Thank you for joining us on Environmental Pod. Mm-hmm. Yes, and thank you. We last week we were at one um, one thousand five hundred streams, and now we are up to one thousand seven hundred. Oh, we're going thank quickly, you guys. Yeah, That's thank so you. cool. And thank you to everyone who came to the clothing swap. Yes, yeah, that was a huge it was success. So much yes, fun. that was really great. Um, so we're definitely going to do that hopefully again in the future but thank you to everyone who participated share this episode with your mom dad aunt uncle and dentist (laughs) 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 so they can hear more about climate change and we'll come at you again next week Tuesday live at 3pm bye bye